Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope you enjoy this message and we pray that it blesses you. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit thrivechurch.co.nz. We're really, really privileged to be with you. So thank you for the invitation and, and the opportunity. Uh, really, really great. I, I've, um, I was down in Rangiora or down in the South Island about this time last year, so I'm kind of beginning to think, call it my spring tour, traveling through the South Island. I, I dare not come in the winter, so as an Aucklander, you tend not to do that. So uh, I, I'm always kind of glad when the spring arrives and so I can uh, venture my way down here and, and uh, spend some time with some great churches. And so it's really fun to be with you today. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, I wonder if you'd uh, be willing to go in your Bibles. I want to read you a story this morning, which I'm sure is not new to any one of us, but uh, will be really an encouragement to you. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about it, if you allow me that privilege, for a while, and that would be just awesome. Okay, let's just uh, read. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, you can go to Luke chapter 19. I want to just read a story about a man by the name of Zacchaeus, uh, which is recorded for us there in the first part of the chapter. Let's just uh, read it together if you've got your phone with you, if you've got your iPad with you, uh, or if you're using a Bible this morning. Uh, in verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus entered and he passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Uh, but when they saw it, it's always, there's always a they in the crowd, isn't there? When they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to restore it to him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today. I wonder if somebody would be willing to say that with me. Today. Salvation has come to this house. Uh, for this also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man did not come to seek and to save that which, uh, or sorry, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Great story, right? Absolutely great story. I don't know whether you find that you do this sometimes when you are reading a story from the Bible, but certainly I've been guilty of it, that it's easy if we're not careful to take a story uh, as it were in isolation almost kind of see it as a random event, just a, a self-contained little con, you know, content in the middle of, of, a, of a bigger book. But, and, and that can often be a mistake because sometimes the stories that are told have a context which is much bigger than themselves. And certainly in the story of Zacchaeus, that's a, a, a real reality. The, the, the reality is this, and that is that Jesus had a lot to do with tax collectors. In fact, it seems evident that Jesus really liked tax collectors. He really liked hanging out with them. Uh, and more than that, they liked him. They just genuinely liked being around where he was. And now, I used to perhaps think that, well, it was Jesus kind of did that because he just liked to get in the face of the status quo. 
He kind of knew that the tax collectors were a little on the outer. They weren't really Mr. Popular. And so it was his way of kind of being anti-establishment. Because, uh, because the Pharisees and the scribes, they, it really got them ticked when Jesus was uh, around them. Uh, and we're going to kind of examine that this morning. I, I might even, if you've had that position, you might actually, like me, need to just shift it a little bit. Uh, but certainly, as we just begin our story this morning, notice, let's just pick a couple of uh, instances in which we see Jesus interacting with Pharisees, or sorry, with tax collectors. For a start, if you look with me in Luke chapter 5, we find that it says this in verse 27. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to, uh, Jesus said to him, sorry. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Verse 29, then Levi uh, gave him, uh, gave a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number. Can somebody say great number? There was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. So here, here we just see that when Jesus is, is picking his inner team, the ones closest to him, the 12 that were going to walk with him for the next three years, one of them was a tax collector by the name of Levi, or you might know him uh, by his other name, Matthew. As we go on in chapter 7, just a couple of chapters later, if you're willing just to flick over in verse 29, it says, When all of the people heard him, even the tax collectors. Wow, it seems like Luke kind of thinks, wow, these boys are right on the edge. But even them uh, justified God having been baptized with the baptism of Jesus. Go down just a couple of verses to verse 34. It tells us this. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here we find that by, by chapter 7, not only has Jesus chose one of them as, the, as one of his inner circle, not only are there heaps of them coming to hang out with him, but here he's actually known specifically as a friend of tax collectors uh, and of sinners, of course. Uh, and then uh, if we just we, we, you flick over just one more time and then we'll just talk for a few moments. So if you go to Luke chapter 15, just look at Luke chapter 15 and a comment that Luke makes for us there in verse one, he says this, he says, then all, I wonder if somebody's willing to say all this morning. Then all of the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. Jesus was very good at winning tax collectors. Jesus was very good at making friends with tax collectors, and they liked him. And so, you know, when we consider the story that we began with this morning of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, I think it's kind of really interesting for us to notice that there is an incredible context for this. When Zacchaeus uh, um, has this encounter with Jesus, uh, the reason is, is that there's a whole lot that's happened before it. Let me just talk for a moment about that. Zacchaeus, uh, you know, because he's a man of position. He's a man of wealth. He's a man of influence in the city of Jericho. And therefore, what an unusual thing for him to be willing to climb up a tree. You know, when you're a man of influence, if you're the mayor or you're one of the councillors, it's not likely that people are going to find you climbing up sycamore trees on Sunday morning. But he really, really has a desperation in him to meet Jesus. Why? Because, you see, he's the chief tax collector, and we've just seen that all his staff are hanging out with Jesus. 
All his staff have been influenced by the life of Jesus. Jesus was particularly good at, at, at touching uh, the lives of tax collectors. And over a, a period of months and then probably of a couple of years, Zacchaeus sees his whole staff change. He sees their lives radically influenced. He sees them radically um, changed in their attitudes. Probably they've been a little bit more honest with their work. Maybe they're putting in a few more hours than they were before. But for whatever reason, Zacchaeus is hearing stories all the time of the impact of Jesus' life. And I find that incredibly significant as I consider what happens in his life. Now, Zacchaeus probably also heard the news around town. You see, the previous time when Jesus had visited Jericho, uh, he had done a few meetings in the town. And as he's leaving, the Bible says that there's a man by the name of Bartimaeus just sitting out on the road. And he hears that Jesus is going past. He begins to shout out with all his mind and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. You see, he's blind. He's desperate for for something to happen in his life. All of the officials in the town, they say, man, shut up, shut up. You know, this is, we we don't get uh, Jesus here too often. This is one of the few times he's visiting Jericho. Don't mess it up. But uh, Bartimaeus knows this is his moment. In Mark chapter 10, it records for us how that Jesus stopped right in his tracks, turned around and said, who's that that's calling out to me? And as he has an interaction with Bartimaeus, he receives a miracle and Bartimaeus is healed of his blindness. Pretty cool, eh? Yeah. And so all of the things that are happening in, um, in Jericho are being heard by Zacchaeus. And by the time we get to Luke chapter 19, no wonder this man of influence is willing to climb up a tree to try and see Jesus. Because he had a serious shortness problem, small man's disease. And uh, in fact, somebody suggested that Zacchaeus was so short that he had to wear high heel shoes just to touch the ground. And so he climbs up this tree to see Jesus. And you say, well, you know, obviously, you know, he has this encounter with, with, with a religious man. Well, I want you to know this, that Zacchaeus had a huge amount of contact with religious men. Let me just tell you a little bit about Jericho. Jericho was a uh, a priestly city. We we would call it in in 21st century world, uh, Jericho was like a dormer city. Increasingly now, some of you have probably heard of the increasing prices in Auckland City of housing. And so what we're finding is increasingly now, people are living not only in, in South Auckland, but now they're living even in Hamilton and traveling through to Auckland to work. It happens in lots of parts of the world where you've got these dormer cities where people live, but they actually move to another city. I guess Rangiora is a little bit of a dormer city, isn't it? Many people would live here, but they'd, live in, uh, they'd work in Christchurch. Now, Jericho was just like that. It was a priestly city. Uh, history suggests that there was perhaps as many as 12,000 priests and their families living in Jericho. So they'd live in Jericho. Then it was when it was their turn to work at the temple in Jerusalem, they'd walk over to Jerusalem and they would do their job and then they'd come back and they would settle in Jericho again. So Zacchaeus was absolutely surrounded. You say, one of the things that really tells us that, have you ever saw, seen the story of the Good Samaritan? When the Good Samaritan gets beaten up on the road uh, between Jericho and Jerusalem. Coincidence? No, not at all. Uh, the first person that comes along is a priest. Sees him, doesn't want to be late for work, doesn't like getting his hands messed up with this man that's injured, probably knows he, notices he's a Samaritan, so he crosses on the other side of the road. The second person that comes along, not coincidence, is a Levite. Why? Jericho's a priestly city. 
And so lots of, so Zacchaeus is just absolutely surrounded by religion. And that has an impact on his life. But when he meets Jesus, my, 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 his life is absolutely transformed. I tell you, when people meet Jesus, something happens. It's absolutely remarkable. And I just wondered uh, this morning whether you've ever thought as to why it was that uh, Jesus seems to have this tremendous interest. This I wouldn't call it a preoccupation. I would call it a focus on tax collectors. I, I kind of for a long time used to, to wonder about that, and I couldn't understand it particularly well. You see, when I first be, became uh, uh, a Christian and a Pentecostal, one of the things that you marked you about as a Pentecostal, you had to read the old King James Bible. You know, that really made you spiritual. So we used to buy these huge Bibles, big enough to choke a mule, and we'd read these King James Bible. And in the King James Bible, tax collectors are called publicans, which doesn't give you any real picture. It doesn't help me at all because to me, when I'm growing up, a publican is a guy who owns, owns or manages a hotel. He's a hotelier. And so I'm thinking, I couldn't get these, my head around these people at all. Um, but then, of course, you read a more modern translation and we get this word, tax collector. Well, I decided one day to look it up. I decided just to have a little bit of a word search and say, is it publican? Is it tax collector? What's the real word? And I found out that the Greek word, uh, and I'm, I'm going to try and say it for you, although I'm not particularly a Greek scholar, it, it's telesphorio. And telesphorio has a very interesting meaning. The word telesphorio, it means one who brings fruit to perfection. What an interesting title. What an interesting word. I'll give you some of the other things that Strong's Concordant tells us. A bearer to completion. Somebody who likes to get stuff done and likes to get stuff finished. Wow. Likes to achieve with his life. Then there's another meaning. It won, to ripen fruit. And then finally, as, as Strong's tries to summarize the meaning of this word for us, he says, it's one who sets out for a definite point or, or a different direction. Isn't that interesting? In other words, these guys seem to be guys who are, are goal setters. These guys are, are pace setters. These guys are ones who want to make a difference with their life. They're, it's almost like they're, they're ones that they want their life to be fruitful, to be meaningful, to make a difference. Isn't that awesome? And, and suddenly when I understand the meaning of the word, I suddenly get it why Jesus wanted to hang out with them. Because it suddenly made sense. And so they were ones who wanted to bring uh, fruit to, to, to maturity or fruit to perfection. You know, Jesus was really significantly good at winning tax collectors. I, I wonder who, who you're really good at winning. I wonder who you're really good at influencing in your life. Because really, if we get honest, probably we don't necessarily have the ability to connect with everybody. But in our life, there are people that we are able to influence. Last November, I went to uh, Perth. My wife and I went to Perth. And uh, the reason was it was the, our first granddaughter's uh, first birthday. And so we were there to celebrate her birthday with us. The day before we were ready to fly, um, my son rings me up and he says, Dad, he says, I need to tell you, you're coming for a bit of a sad time. He says, my best friend in Perth, his brother has just dropped dead very suddenly, 34 years of age, left three children. It was a pretty sad event. 
And he says, so you're coming to a funeral? I said, never mind. I said, we'll, you know, we're glad to be coming. We'll look after Bubby while you guys go and uh, you know, just give comfort to the family and comfort to your friend. But of course, uh, his friend is a Fijian. And so when they found out that the pastor had come, it was important for me to be a part of the events after the funeral and to be with the family. So my son comes and picks us up after the funeral, says, Dad, they, they want you and mum to come to the, to, the, uh, to the meal with the family. Would you please come? So we go and we turn up at this significantly large church in Perth. Uh, where all this event is happening. So I got my little granddaughter out of the car seat and I'm just walking across the car park and all of a sudden, this very big man comes and gets right in my face. Uh, Like I'm talking, he was right in my face. And he says, you're Bruce McDonald, aren't you? And I think, I'm in in Perth, I'm 4,000 miles away from home. And this guy is really big. Is this a good time to be Bruce McDonald or is this not a good time to be Bruce? (laughs) Should I be somebody else right now? But, but I thought that maybe honesty was the best policy. So I said, him, yeah, I said, my, my name is Bruce McDonald. He says, he said, I want you to know that when I was eight years of age, you came to my Bible and schools class. And he says, you told me that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. You're the first person that ever did that in my life. He said, I want you to know as a result of that, I've become a Christian and my whole family are in church today. Thank you for telling me. Well, isn't that awesome, eh? So, so I found out his name and a bit about his background and just talked with him for a moment. And then we're walking across the car park and my wife said, well, that was kind of special, wasn't it? I said, yeah, that doesn't happen every day of the week. So we walk into the church and we're just walking through the forum, just carrying my granddaughter. All of a sudden, this man comes and stands right in my face. It's, it's a case of deja vu. He says, you're Bruce McDonald, aren't you? I'm thinking to myself, I'm in Perth. I'm thinking you don't even knew me in Perth. He says, I want you to know that when I was a boy, you taught me to play guitar. And when you did that, you told me that Jesus Christ loves me. And he says, I want you to know I've been a pastor in this city for eight years. Thank you for sowing the seed in my life. You know, there are are people that we we have the privilege and, and that for one reason or another, we're very good at winning. See, one of the privileges in my life is when I was, uh, particularly younger years, I was very good at winning children for Jesus. And as a result of that, some good things happened around my life. Jesus was very good with tax collectors. When I went to university um, uh, to, as, and to teachers' college, uh, I, my family and I decided that I should go into the halls of residence for the first year. It was a good idea. I was enormously homesick. I was a country boy going to the big city, and I, I was pretty nervous, to be honest. So I go to the halls of residence, and in the teachers' college halls of residence, they had uh, shared rooms. So I knew I was going to be rooming with the guy. And it just turns out that they did it alphabetically. And so the guy I was rooming with, his name was Ian McDonald which was really quite okay because my younger brother's name is Ian McDonald and I'd roomed with him most of my life. So I thought, well, this is not going to be a lot different. Well, I was a little wrong about that because the Ian McDonald I was rooming with was a long way from being a Christian. Uh, he, I, I thought, oh, well, I've got to tell him I'm a Christian straight off the bat. I want to do it first day because if I wait till day two, it's a little harder. So I tell him, first day I'm a Christian. He says, look, I don't mind. You live your life. I'll live my life. And he definitely came to teacher's college. He definitely came to university to live his life. In fact, one of his favorite things was to ask me if I was going home for the weekend because he needed to make sure of that because he always wanted to have a girl in the room. I think it was because he didn't like being alone. And so, 
So over, over the year, you know, we were, he, sometimes he'd come in, he'd find me reading my Bible and he'd grab it off me and he'd say, oh, what are you reading this for? And chuck it on the bed. And we'd, we'd maybe get into conversations talking about Jesus. And, and I began to really earnestly pray for him. I thought, Lord, this is not an accident. You don't do accidents, God. You put people in, in, in our lives because you want to uh, make a difference in their life. Or you want to influence them through, through us and through me. And so I said, Lord, I really want to influence Ian McDonald. And it just seemed like I never, ever had any influence over his life. He was, he was living. Most of, he spent more time uh, drunk than, than most guys did at Teachers College. And, most of them, and so quite a lot of the guys spent quite a lot of time drunk. And so he was really leading the pack. So after that first year, I decided to go flatting, so I had less to do with Ian. Over the next couple of years, I'd see him around campus a few times, and we'd say hi, we'd sometimes get, meet, get meet in the calf and maybe have a, a, a drink together, and that was really good. And I, but I just kept praying for him. I said, Lord, I, I don't think it was an accident that you put him in my room. And so I just kept praying, Lord, you must want to do something in this guy's life. Well, finally... Um, I finished teacher's college and I got a job and got posted back as a school teacher back to the Bay of Plenty and I, I didn't hear anything more about that young man. Uh, and uh, after three years, four years of teaching, I felt God called me, so I, I left teaching and I became a pastor. And God really was great to us in our church. We, we saw some really awesome things happen. And one of them was that after a few years, this couple came into the church and uh, they were from Stratford in uh, Taranaki. Yeah, straight from the Taranaki. And uh, they were in the church for a while. Great people really got involved in the church. And one day they called me up and said, Bruce, Bruce, uh, we've got a friend staying with us. We really want you to talk to him. And so they said, we're just going to put him on the phone. So they stick him on the phone. And this male voice comes on the phone and he says, you know, hi, you Bruce. How are you doing? You're doing all right? And I said, look, I'm doing great. Who are you? He says, oh, you know me really, really well. In fact, we were really close at one point. Well, you know, we used to room together. I'm thinking, who is this? Who is this? And he, he won't tell me. He's stringing me along. And I said, well, how do you know my friends? And from the church, he said, oh, you know, we go to the same church together. I said, well, who are you? So finally, he, he says, look, I've got to tell you, my name's Ian McDonald. I said, well, how do you know my friends? He said, look, I go to the same church as them or used to go to the same church as them in Stratford. In fact, he says, oh, I was the worship leader. I said, you're joking. How did that happen? He says, you know, after my first year, of uh, first year of teaching, he says, I was really flat one weekend. I was in Hamilton. I was walking down the main street. And he said, I walked past what's called Gateway Church now. It was uh, Hamilton Assembly of God back in the day, but Gateway Church now. He says, I was walking past. I heard the singing, and I thought, I'm so low. I just need to go. I just go I'm just going to go inside. Maybe I can just sit inside there for a moment. And he heard for the first time, or not the first time, because I told him the gospel a few times. He said he heard the gospel. And he said, I went forward that night and I gave my life to Christ and I've never been the same since. And that's so awesome. You know, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's just so powerful to know that, you know, uh, that we can win people's life. In my last year of teaching, uh, I did a project with my, my children. Uh, we're country, we were uh, Fakatani, pretty country place, and we decided we were going to do this project where we took all of our, uh, I think it was three, cl three classes to Auckland City for, uh, for their, their school camp. And of course, that's a, that's a big cost, it's a big distance, so what we decided to do was to do a fundraising project all year. And so each week we'd sell hot, uh, hot soup on, on the winter months, we'd sell different things, and we'd fundraise all year so that we could uh, 
get the children to go, to go to Auckland. So what I did is I set this little maths project. If any of you are a school teacher, I had this little maths project that would collect all this money all week. And then on the Friday, three children from the class would have to collect all the money up. They'd have to count all the money. They'd have to write out a deposit slip. And then after school, I would take them down to the bank and teach them how to use a bank. So we were kind of making a, a bit of a project of, you know what I mean? And you've got to remember, guys, this is the days with one-cent coins, two-cent coins, five-cent coins, as well as tens, twenties, and fifties. So we'd have this whole jar of money every Friday. So I'd take these three children down the bank, and can you just understand that they've got their chest out, they're walking into the bank like this. And the bank tellers got to know us. And of course, three, three, about 3.15, that's when there's a changeover of afternoon tea. And so, you know, as we walked into the bank, you could see the bank tellers grab the little sign, next teller, please. Because the last thing they wanted to do on a Friday afternoon was count a whole jar of five, one, two, fives and ten cent pieces. You know what I'm saying? And it just happened that every single time one of the little bank tellers was about coming out from the back. She'd had her cup of coffee and she, I could see this look on her face. Oh no, they're here again. But she was absolutely incredible with our kids. She was just so incredible. She would talk to them. She'd go through. She'd commend them for getting the count right and all that sort of stuff. So I'm just sort of sitting there, you know, standing there, sorry, as a spectator. Now, that was a little awkward because I was still single and she was significantly attractive. You see, God saved me. He didn't blind me. I noticed this. And I said, Lord, this feels uncomfortable. And it's Friday afternoon. But anyway, I'm standing, and, and the next minute, I, I suppose it was about the second or third weekend, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. God just spoke to me and He said, you're here because you are to pray for this young lady. Isn't that cool? So I said, okay. So I'm smiling at her, watching the thing. I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I know she needs you. I know she, you, you, you want to do something in her life. I know you want to do something amazing in her life. Please touch her life, Lord. And so I'm just standing there doing that. Well, at the end of the year, uh, as I said, we finished the project. We stopped going to the bank to, to take all our ones, twos, and five cent pieces in. And uh, I left teaching. Well, we got into, the, into uh, I was pastoring. And God gave us a wonderful, wonderful season. Lots of people were becoming Christians. Lots of people. Dozens of them. And as one of them was a young man that I used to play rugby with. His name was Mike. And Mike had had uh, some real difficulties growing up. He had uh, actually been in a situation where somebody in authority over him had, had just messed with him a little bit. And so he was, had some real issues in his life. So he becomes a Christian. And his life was changed. I'm telling you, he was changed. And so he gives his life to Jesus. And he goes home, he tells his wife. She gives her life to Jesus. Really awesome. They go around and talk to uh, her sister and her husband. They become Christians. It's, it's, it was just radical what was happening. A whole family are becoming Christians and they got involved in the life of our church and we, we just thought they were awesome. They were just such fun people to have in the congregation. I suppose a, a couple of years went past and, and um, one day uh, Mike's wife rings me up and she said, Bruce, my, my sister's been having some real problems in her, in her relationship. She's having real problems in her marriage. Do you think it would be okay if she would come and see you? I said, look, yeah, that'd be fine. I'd just be happy to talk to her. So we made a time, it was two o'clock in the afternoon. I said, yeah, why doesn't she come on into the office at two o'clock? And so I'm just working away at my office, two o'clock in the afternoon. I have this knock on my door. I open the door and here's the bank teller. So I just said to her, oh, come in. I've been waiting for you. 
Now, she thought I'd just been waiting because the appointment had been made in the morning. But you need to know I'd been waiting for five years. And that day, she gave her life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's an incredible privilege when we begin to pray for people. It's an incredible privilege when God gives us the opportunity, the invitation to join Him in impacting and seeing somebody's life changed. And I, I just want to encourage you, uh, you know, that you need to understand that you're, it's not an accident, the, the workplace that you're in. It's not an accident, the, the person that you're working alongside. It's not an accident who God has put you alongside, because you need to understand you're there to make a difference to them. And so maybe, uh, you know, as you go back to work tomorrow, you can sort of say, Lord, why did you put me with these people? Maybe it's because I need to pray. I need to start to lift them up before you because you really want to do something in their life. You know, when, when Zacchaeus has this incredible encounter with Jesus. You know what happens? He said, Jesus, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. It's a radical change that takes place in his life. And he said, if I've taken anything from anybody unrighteously, I'm going to give it back to him fourfold over. That means he knew his Bible because that was what the punishment was for doing wrong in the Old Testament, stealing in the Old Testament. And so he does that. And then Jesus says this to him, today salvation has come to this house. You know, we ne- you know uh, Pastor Glenn, we never hear about Zacchaeus again. We never know what happens to this man's life. We don't know what happened to his future. But we know that this day, today, salvation came to his life. We, you know, salvation is always today. It's always today. In a moment, I'm going to get you to stand with me. But I want you to think about the significance of that. Jesus is hanging on the cross between two guys. One on the left hand, one on the right hand. One's, one's just absolutely mad at what's happened to his life and where he's there. And he says, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, get us out of this mess. The other guy said, listen, you shouldn't be talking like this. We're here because we did wrong stuff, but this man's done nothing wrong. And he says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, it's always today in paradise. There's no, fear, there's no past to regret. There's no future to fear. Today, it's always today in paradise.